Welcome to the Smarter Trading Podcast. If you want to sharpen your trading skills or become a more savvy investor, then you're in the right place. Every week, we sit down with professional traders who are ready to share practical insights on what it takes to succeed in modern day markets. Smarter Trading, the show to watch to trade smarter. Medeiros is the founder and CEO of The Trade Risk. All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Evan or The Trade Risk. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Evan and guests may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. This episode of Smarter Trading is sponsored by Investors Business Daily. IBD has been around for over 35 years, helping investors navigate each and every market cycle. If you want the best analysis and actionable trade ideas from the leader in growth investing, check out IBD Digital. Go to investors.com slash Evan, that's E-V-A-N, to get your first two months for only $20. Subscribe today and start trading smarter at investors.com slash Evan. Thank you, IBD, for supporting financial education and making this episode possible. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is Brian Shannon of alphatrends.net. Brian started his professional investing career in 1991 as a retail stockbroker and then quickly moved on to follow his true passion of trading in 1994, which he continues to do full-time to this day. Brian holds a CMT designation and is the author of the classic trading book, Technical Analysis Using Multiple Timeframes. In this episode, Brian reveals all of the details of his swing trading framework, which he's been perfecting for decades. He shares how he uses multiple timeframes, how he gets precise entries, and then manages risk. We then move on to talk about VWAP common pitfalls he sees traders make, how he sets himself up to anticipate the market, staying objective, and a whole lot more. Brian is literally a fountain of wisdom throughout this entire episode, sharing quote after quote of trading truths and lessons. Please enjoy this episode with Brian Shannon. You know, before we get lost in all the, the interview, I do want to actually just take a moment and Thank you personally and professionally, frankly. Um, when I started trading back in financial crisis, like 2009 timeframe, I had no idea what I was doing. And thank God you were one of the first people I stumbled across and your book, um, trading across multiple timeframes. I mean, I picked yeah. that up and really sort of set the foundation for like my first trading strategies and everything. So fantastic. Thank you for that. And then really, as I've continued to kind of follow you throughout what 12 years now, like just the steady hand sort of, you know, moral compass, realistic <laughs> expectations, pushing like good content forward for the ecosystem. I mean, you know, like hats off to you for just helping, you know, the financial community just grow in a good way. We need more people like you. And that's obviously why I'm so excited to have you here. So thank well, you. Thanks. Thank, thank you. So I wanted to, you know, sort of touch on, I know you got started when you were young as a, as a teenager, mm -hmm. uh, I believe. Who were your early sort of technical analysis 
like mentors or who are you looking up to at that point? Who is, who is doing kind of something that resembled what we all do today and we take for granted? What, what were your sort of early inspirations? Uh, well, you know, books, the first one I read was John Murphy, uh, technical analysis of the fight, uh, the futures markets, actually, that that's like the first version he did. And then uh, Stan Weinstein's book was really the aha moment for me. And that was, I read it, I actually remember reading it, I was on a plane to Alaska, um, when I when I read the book, and it was just, I couldn't put it down, it made so much sense. And then a guy that I was working for at Lehman Brothers was, uh, he would get the um, the Daily Graphs chart books. And he would, you know, he would go through those. And, um, and then I started like stealing copies of them because I just was fascinated with them. And um, anyway, so, so those were kind of the three things that kind of kicked it off. And actually, um, the Cabot Market Letter uh, back in 1990 or you know 89 90 um i used to read that at the library and, and there was you know they would say you know buy this stock if it goes above i, I remember the first stock i bought from you know from theirs was advanced polymer buy it if it goes above five and i was looking at go why on earth would you want to pay higher it's 480 right now or four you know it's four and three quarters back then whatever and, and then I saw, you know, the chart I was like, hey, that makes sense, you know, and um, that turned out to be a double that stock quick, pretty quickly. And I was like, OK, so that's what you do. You buy new highs. Cool. Great. So did you ever get sort of sucked down the fundamental path at all? Were you ever really kind of going down the research of stock, understand company and all that stuff or right to the technicals? So the guy I worked <laughs> for at, at Lehman Brothers, he was one of their top brokers and he had, you know, developed a strategy of buying stocks that basically break out with a positive earnings surprise. And that really, so he trained me and I, he would, you know, coach me on pitching and opening new accounts. And it was an easy story to tell. It was always kind of the same story. Listen, you know, this company's doing better than expected. The chart is breaking out. Uh, what do you think the analysts are going to do? Are they going to downgrade the stock? You know, wh by the time they figure this out, they just reported two days ago, the upgrades will be coming, the revised estimates will be coming. So I've, you know, used to dig into the fundamentals a little bit. I would look at Value Line, uh, which a lot of people probably don't know that resource. And in fact, I was at a library about, it was just a week ago. And I was sitting in the reference section and I looked over and I was really surprised to see the value line was still there and they had current ones. So value wow. line was a one page sheet. It had a chart up top and then it had a lot of information about the company fundamentally. So I used to use the value line uh, in addition to a chart, the, uh, the, in the in the earnings report and make up a story because I was a salesman. I was a retail stockbroker. So I'd use that to make up the story to overcome rebuttals because some people would say, you know, they'd want to know what the company does. So I'd have to know a little bit about them and say, you know, well, they make, you know, semiconductor equipment manufacturing. Where are they located? Shijuan, uh, China, you know, looking at my, you know, little cheat sheet. Um, so I, I really was never, I, I, there were times actually when I did you know, find companies and I'd be like, hey, this one's really good. I love this company. I'm going to go into it heavily. And, you know, I did that a couple times. And most of the time, what it ended up doing is give me a bias about the stock that I quickly learned 
after several large losses, not quickly, <laughs> I wish I learned it quicker, um, that, you know, having an opinion in the market while the, while the, while the stock is telling you otherwise can be really costly. So I kind of gravitated away from fundamentals. Now today, you know, I still use uh, MarketSmith and I, I like to look at that on pretty much every stock that I buy. I want to at least know what the company does. I can quickly see what their revenues and earnings are. And it just gives that little extra confidence to say, hey, wait a minute, this is a little Chinese biotech. No, thank you. Great looking chart. Not for me. Or, hey, it's, you know, they make this thing that's benefiting and I can see the future of why more people would want this thing and it's breaking out. So if I can combine them, you know, just on that cursory level. So I, I do more, a lot more technical analysis, obviously, than I do fundamentals. So I, I find all my ideas technical technically and then i go to the story it's never the story first and then the technicals and i mean your i mean one of your you've got a lot of sort of phrases that you've coined and one of them i think most people would identify with you is only price pays and this is pretty much what you're what you're talking about right it's technicals it's story is cool that's all bonus kind of cherry on top but it's price you know how many times i had to say that to myself <laughs> and it still serves as a reminder, Evan, that's it's, you know, half the time I say only price pays, you know, if I type it in on Twitter, I'm probably chastising myself for, <laughs> for some little violation of that that I made and thinking, you knucklehead, come on, you know, get the word out there again. You got to tell yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's true. That's, you know, that's the scorecard. That's the only thing that matters. We can fight it all the way down or you can fight your short all the way up and say, Tesla, Tesla Q, whatever, you know, I'm sure because Elon's this and because their manufacturing is that, you know, you're, you're losing a ton of money and, and, I, and it's not about being right. It's about making money. Yeah. Such a good point. Yeah. The people that have the narrative and sometimes they're the smartest people out there, right? Their, their IQs could be through the roof, but if they're, if they're dogmatic about their, their thesis, um, Mr. Market knows how to punish, you know, everyone basically, us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love, I love the only price pays you have, you have a handful more, um, innocent until proven guilty. That's another good one that always just makes me think, you know, it's funny because I swear like any, any day now, I feel like someone from your team in a suit is going to show up like collecting royalties for all the times I've said <laughs> these things. Cause like, I, I always have to like stop myself cause I'm like stepping on, on Brian Shannon of Alpha there's, Trends. There's, uh... there's no, there's no team of suits. It's you're, <laughs> you're good. And, and, you know, and the opposite Evan is, you know, guilty till proven innocent. Mm. When you see a stock in a downtrend, it might make that bounce, but nine times out of 10, it's just another lower high. That's going to be dissolved into that longer term downtrend. And if it's, if it's in a downtrend and you get a bounce, you know, don't chase those things. They're truly guilty till proven innocent. Once in a while, they can turn around on that big day move. But most of the time, it's, you know, it, it's back to basic principles. And if you just stick to those, a trend once established is more likely to continue than reverse. Then, you know, what are the odds and, and where is the opportunity? You know, definitions of trend and and, and, and I like to use the, the, the example of, yeah, you can make money on those bounces in a downtrend. But if it's in a downtrend, where's the true opportunity? 
The stock drops $5, it rallies three. It drops $4 and rallies three. The fact is with lower highs and lower lows, the sum of the declines is always greater than the sum of the rallies. So there's more financial opportunity. And then you take news and surprises tend to follow the direction of the trend. It just doesn't, it just doesn't pay to fight the trend. It's, it's, it, and, and that's, that's something I learned the hard way as well. Hey, I'll just get in here and buy a little bit because this has got to be the low. And my, you know, over my career, actually the biggest losses have been trying to pick a bottom more than anything. That you know, buy just you know, start out with a couple hundred shares because I'm going to average down a little bit. I know I'm in the area, and then you buy a couple hundred more and a couple hundred more. Then it's too big. You can't sell it because you know you're waiting for that bounce and you know you're right. And then you buy more, and all of a sudden you've got this monster loss on your hands, and you just end up puking it. And you know, most of the time you end up puking it at the low. But it's just you know, make it easy on yourself is is what I'm all about in the market. So if you had to describe your strategy kind of present day, your core swing trading strategy, how would you frame it out? What would you say you look for? Well, again, it's always about multiple time frames. So I look to the bigger picture, let's just say a daily chart. And if everything I need to see on there is on the daily chart, I'll stick there. But let's say it's making new all-time highs on that daily chart. Then I'll look further back in time to the left. I'll look at a weekly time frame just to see what are the potential levels where it might encounter some supply that does in fact have the potential to become resistance. So the daily time frame kind of sets sets the table for me. And I'm looking for a stock in an uptrend. I don't want to buy the stock if it's just rallied 15%. You know, so I always like to ask the questions: where has it come from? Well, if it just rallied 15% in the last four days, I'm clearly not early to this trend. Um, and where does it have the potential to go before it might find that source of supply that slows it down? So maybe it rallied 15% and it's at the prior little peak. And you know, then you catch the breakout crowd there at that little peak, and then they come in. People will say, well, breakouts don't work. How come every time I buy a breakout? Well, it's, you know, if you buy a breakout from a real nice tight base, that's a lot different than buying a breakout with a stock that just ran 15% in the last four days. So I'm getting you know off on a little tangent there a little bit. So the daily time frame says, you know, if it's in a primary uptrend, it's a candidate for a long. If it's in a primary downtrend, it's a candidate for a short. But we're in a primary bull market, so if I do get involved in that short, it's going to be smaller, you know, smaller risk unit. Back to the daily time frame. If it's in the uptrend. And it has, you know, maybe just corrected it, you know, it ran from 20 to 30 and now it's pulled back to 26 and a half and it's at a rising 20 day moving average or if it's at a retracement level or, you know, any technical tool that says, hey, here's a potential that it's the volume weighted average price from that low. Here's a level of interest. And it tells me I'm not looking to buy at that point. It says here's where the new short term battle should be fought and if that short-term battle is fought in here and the buyers regain control in this area or they start you know it starts to turn sideways for a day or two then i'm really interested in it so you know it might have rallied for eight days pulled back for three gone sideways for two now i'm really watching it tight you know tight on the shorter term time frames a 30 minute time frame or a 15 minute time frame 
and I'm looking for a break above the consolidation of that pullback, so that two to three day consolidation. Now on that short term time frame, we just see that it's breaking a new high. So I want to buy there. It's you know eight percent below the prior peak. So my target is at least that prior peak, and my stop will go under the most recent relevant higher low. So if it bottomed out at 26 and a half, rallied up to 27 and a half, made a higher low at 27 and a quarter, and I buy it at 27.60, I might put my stop at 27.20 because that's the most recent relevant higher low. So I'm buying that emerging trend on the shorter term time frame that's in alignment with the bigger picture uh, uptrend. Thank, thanks for all the detail. Yeah. So multiple time frames following the dominant trend, and you're really sort of narrowing and and laser beam in on that entry point. You're looking at something that hasn't been too far extended and has that potential, like you say, that's another Brian Shannon. Where does it have the potential to go? You're you're the you're that voice in the in my head when I when I'm looking at charts, that, you know, reference point back up to highs, that all makes, you know, a lot of sense. So this this sounds like, I mean, even eight, seven, nine, ten years ago when I when I started to like follow your work, this was pretty much your process. Is that is that right? Like is has has a lot changed in the last 10 years or have you really been fine-tuning like this specific setup? You know, it's it's pretty much it, it works. I mean yeah. Life, yeah. you know it still works. I you know the the biggest thing, Evan, over the last six to eight years is it's become a lot easier to use the volume weighted average anchored volume VWAP levels. So I can really tell for certain, you know, from that peak, as the price comes down and turns sideways, now that volume weighted average price is flattened out and we're getting back above that VWAP from the peak. That tells me definitively that the buyers are back in control since that point. There's no arguing with it. The average price that the stock traded at is now $27 and I'm paying $27.20 and the prior peak was, what did I say, 30? I don't remember my, my numbers. But, you know, so now I'm looking at saying I have that confidence that the buyers are actually in control and then I'll put a volume weighted average price from the pullback low. And it'll be amazing how many times you'll see that that's tested and almost to the penny, it'll like just rocket right off there. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, I, so I, I definitely wanted to talk about VWAP um, because your, your, you know, alternate name is Mr. VWAP as far as I'm concerned, because you've really pushed this into the retail trader sort of zeitgeist. I feel like, like you have been, you know, really showing the importance of, of the anchored VWAP. I know VWAP has been around for a while and institutions, you know, certainly like to, to use it. And this is the volume weighted average price. How do you, so anchored, anchored VWAP is where you can actually choose the point on the chart that you want to start your your VWAP calculation. What makes sense to you in terms of you know traders that have been kind of playing around with this? All the all the charting platforms are rolling it out. So where do you tend to put those starting anchor points for the anchored VWAP? Right. So you know it, uh, swing high and low. So for instance, again, if the move began at twenty and it ran to thirty, I'll put. I'll put one at that 20 level if that was the low. It's 1997 and, and it ran from there. And you'll see that that pullback to 26 and a quarter often might be the exact low. I mean, it's crazy how the institutions use these things for more than a daily time frame. 
And then, of course, from the peak, you know, as it begins its pullback, I'll anchor volume weighted average price off the peak. And if that VWAP is still declining and hasn't even had a chance to flatten out, I basically won't trust it yet. I want to see that equilibrium kind of met that, you know, now they're in what I call, you know, they pinch together. The volume weighted average price from low comes up, the one from the top comes down, and we get that range compression where the VWAP's pinched together. And when it breaks out above it, it tells me pretty definitively, it, it actually, very, it tells me definitively without argument, It's there's no subjectivity to it. it tells me the average per, price from that peak, the average buyer is now in a winning position. The average short seller, also we always have to think about, because short, people short it, you know, it goes from 20 to 30, like I'm gonna short this thing down. Well, the average short seller is now losing money if they, you know, have been, you know, basically dollar cost averaging, you know, into their position, working into it. Um, so the shorts are losing money. The buyers have that confidence on the short term time frame. It matches the picture on the daily time frame, the bigger time frame. So that, you know, those are important pieces. I always have the daily VWAP, of course. I'll use the two day volume weighted average price for entries sometimes. I've, I've got a strategy around that. Uh, the week to date, you know, if you look at, so today is, uh, what is it, August 25th. If you look at the S&P and the NASDAQ this week, they're just, they've come down each day. Today's Wednesday. They came down Monday and Tuesday. And then again today and tested that week to date volume weighted average price and didn't go a penny below it. I mean, it's mm. it's pretty crazy. I look mm. at the month to date, the year to date uh, from, from an IPO is really important. So you know, all-time highs, all-time lows. And you don't have to use all of those at once, obviously. It's about sure. saying what are the most important pieces and how does this, how do these pieces of the puzzle fit together to show me the most objective picture of supply and demand so I can be, uh, you know, be involved at the lowest risk, highest probability time frame, time rather to get involved. So as you said, I focus a lot on the entries because if I can get my entry right, where mm. I have a tight stop and I'm getting at the beginning of that new wave of momentum, I'm not waiting for volume um, because volume often peaks at turning points and you know expands mm. in the direction of the trend. So if I'm getting involved right there and let's say my risk unit is uh, $1,000, if my risk is 20 cents away, well, how many shares can I buy? I can buy uh, you know, five five thousand shares, right? But if my stop is a dollar away, I can only buy a thousand shares. If my stop is two dollars away, I can only buy five hundred shares. So I want to get as many shares as possible, and keep that stop tight. And and you know, sometimes I'll stagger my stops a little bit as well. Where if I'm oversized in a piece, you know, it starts pulling back a little bit. I'm like, no, not yet. You know, you know, sell a couple of you know, a couple units. Um, and then I might end up buying them back, but there's, you know, because I, I sit in front of the machine each day and I, I actively trade and I work around a position. I don't just put it on and, you know, let it go to my price target. There's, you know, I don't, I don't really do price targets. I, I like to say, you know, the price target for a long is higher. Uh, my job is to manage risk. I, I, I have an indication that, you know, if I bought it at 27.20 and the prior peak was 30, and the primary trend is really higher, well, it should at least go test that 
So that just mm. gives me an indication. It's, it's a, again, it's a level of interest. It says, has the potential to get there. Let's see how it responds to a breakout there because I own it at 27 and a quarter. I probably will sell some to the people who are chasing that breakout because I own it, you know, 10% lower. So it's, it's all about, you know, trying to work those timeframes together. Again, it, it truly does come down to, you know, to trends and multiple timeframes and, you know, supply and demand and being as objective as possible, keeping the risk tight and managing risk on the way up as well. It's, you know, it, it's, you know, winners don't take care of themselves. Mm. You have to manage those winners as well and know where to raise your stops and where to sell partials. And, you know, that's the art of trading versus the science of looking at charts and technical analysis. Yeah. So many, so many good just pieces of just nuggets of information there. And you mentioned, so you mentioned, you brought up the indices, you brought up, you know, looking at something like the spy. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how much weight do you care about as an, as a tactical active swing trader? How much do you care about what the spy or the cues are doing? It's a great, it's a great question because a lot of times people will confuse their stock with the market. And, you know, is it a stock market or is it a market of stocks? Now, there's that study that's been done, you know, 70% of a stock's movement will come from the, uh, the, uh, the direction of the overall market. I don't agree with that, but 20% will come from the index and 10% the individual stock. If you're buying a true leader in, let's say, the semiconductors, you're going to buy the stock that breaks out before the semiconductor index does because it's weighted, it's dragged down by all these other ones. So I take a you know bottoms up approach, an individual stock basis. And I learned a long time ago that you know I would see an opportunity, I'd see a stock that looks set up great technically, but then I'd be worried about the market, so I'd pass on the trade. And then the stock would go up, and I'd be sitting there not making money and saying, I knew, I, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I should have done, what it should have, you know, and all that nonsense. So I learned also a while ago that, you know, if I view the market as having risk that might affect my position, I'll simply lower my risk unit. So instead of risking $1,000, maybe I'll risk $500 on that trade or whatever your risk unit is. I'll say, you know, I like it, but the market doesn't agree with this, but it's a great setup. I've seen this setup work a, a thousand times before. I'm going to get involved with a tighter stop and less dollars, you know, at risk where my stop goes. Um, and, and that's, that, that's one of the things that, that helped me a, a lot. And, and one thing I used to get hung up on a lot of times in the past was, you know, waiting for volume. And, and I alluded to that a little bit uh, ago that, you know, if you're if it's just breaking over that little short term resistance, other people are waiting for volume. They're like waiting, waiting, waiting. And by the time they get that volume confirmation, you know, it's often, you know, the stock's gone three, four percent and I can take a third of my position off. And now my risk on the balance goes to break even. So even if I get stopped out of the balance the two thirds at break even, I'm still going to make a little bit of a gain because I've reduced my exposure with that first third off. Yeah, that, that, that makes total sense. And, and, and I think the, that spy distinction or markets distinction, I think that hangs a lot of traders up and you're saying, 
for you, I mean, for your, your time frame and style, obviously everybody, you know, might have different approaches, of course, but you know, it's independent. It's stock. I like the example you gave of if you're buying market leaders, I mean, something's got to lead, right? Something right. has to start the move. And so you want to be there when that move starts. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that, um, you know, certainly can give some confidence to, to traders. So to round that point up though, I mean, if you see the spy in like a three or four day pullback or five day pullback, I mean, you're not going into, I'm only going to go into sell stock mode. You're, you're still going to take long setups in individual stocks. Is that right? Yeah, especially when the primary trend is higher. And, you know, if yeah. we were in day four or five and you're looking for shorts, you're late. You know, it, yeah. it's yeah. like it's like looking for breakout stocks after the market just ran 4% in three days. Yeah. You're a little bit behind. You've got to be more anticipatory and not so reactive to what the market itself is doing. Each stock based on its own merits. Don't get hung up on, you know, well, the dollar's doing this and China's over here doing that. Who give, you know, How does that affect this stock that I'm in right now? Mm -hmm. Most likely it doesn't. And, and, you know, the luxury of the time frame that I that makes most sense for me, which is swing trading. And I define that as it's a day trade if it's wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe up to two to two and a half, three weeks is generally about the maximum for me. Mm -hmm. uh, so for that time frame, I don't have to worry about monetary policy unless sure. the Fed meets tomorrow. You know, I'm not going to put on new positions in front of that or, you know, Jackson Hole's coming up. I, I'm not there this year, but whatever they call that uh, yeah. event. Um, so it, it's each stock on its own merits, I think. And if there's bigger risks that you perceive due to the market, scale down your risk unit. And we will be right back. Those of you who know Trade Risk know we are all about rules-based investing, and that's why we are so excited to have Investor's Business Daily as a podcast sponsor. It's almost impossible to avoid boom and bust trading cycles unless you've got a system that works and you're able to stick with it. That's where IDD comes in. They've been helping investors navigate market cycles with their time-tested methodology for over 35 years, which is why you need to check out IBD Digital, their subscription service that gives you access to proprietary market analysis and top trade ideas. Start with the big picture to get a pulse on the market environment, then browse their exclusive stock lists like the IBD 50. Finally, use their stock checkup tool to find out more about a company. All of this is available to IBD Digital subscribers, and right now podcast listeners can get their first two months for only $20. Go to Investors.com slash Evan, that's Investors.com slash E-V-A-N to get started for only $20. Now, back to the show. Do you scan for stocks? How do you find, how do you find the setups that you're interested in? What's your usual routine for that? Yeah, you know, that's a routine that hasn't changed over the years. And, and it's simply looking at a lot of stocks every single day. Now, I have what I call my master list. I look at that each weekend. That list has about 900 stocks on it. And I go through every one of those stocks. And it, I'm not studying them. I'm looking at it's, it's pattern recognition. It's about, mm -hmm. you know, I, and I look at the chart and I say, hey, that looks great. Sometimes I do. But I do this on, on a weekly basis. And then I say, well, if this stock would to pull back, you know, it's pulled back two days. If it pulls back one more day and goes sideways for another day and a half, that might look good middle of next week. So I'm going to put that one on my list for next week. 
So once I've gone through those 850, 900 stocks, whatever it is these days, um, at the end of the at the end of that, I might have 120 stocks that I'm looking at for next week. My intent isn't to trade all 120 of those. Some of them I just have on there because they're market leaders and they, you know, I want to be aware of what Tesla's doing. I might not trade it, but I want to be aware. And I've just got those, you know, those on the screen all the time somewhere where I can access them easy. Um, but then each day I look at that list of 120 and I do it simultaneously on, I've got a weekly chart. I'm looking at it behind me. I've got a weekly chart up there, a daily, a 65 minute, 30 minute, 10 minute, and then a two minute chart. So I'm looking at each stock on six different time frames. Now, my main focus is really on the daily and the 30 minute. Those are the two right in front of me. And if they're kind of setting up, if I see where has it come from, you know, where's the, is there potential support and resistance and important zones, then I start looking at the shorter term time frame. And if I need to, the, the longest time frame. Um, so it's, it's a manual process, Evan. And I, each day, you know, when I look at that list of, you know, the 120 that I have for that week, I might then drill it down to 30 that I have on my list for the next day. And my mm -hmm. intent isn't to trade every one of those stocks. But again, some of them are just, you know, it looks like maybe it's a day or two early. And I just want to familiarize myself with the way it works, uh, with the way, you know, the, the pattern of the trading. See if it, you know, just just thumb through it a couple times each day during the day. But then I have my A, a list setups. Those are my focus swing trades. Then my B list is, you know, these are half risk unit type trades. They're not fully mm. developed. They don't have all my confidence. Maybe then and then I have. So I might have two, you know, new swing trade ideas, five of the B list ideas, and then five more C list where I'll set an alert or I'll look at it and I'll say, well, it's a China name. Now, forget China names now, but maybe yeah. there's just something risky about it. And I'll say, I'll just keep those on there and see how they develop, basically. And here's the thing, the way I look at it, there's nothing wrong with scans at all. Yeah. I, I think that people who develop the scans, you know, they're, they're a great tool for narrowing their focus list. 100%. And in, 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 especially for people that don't have, you know, 30 years of doing this like I do. And it's just, I can go through the charts like that. And, you know, it, it, I can do it very quickly. In other words, it might take somebody else, you know, eight hours to get through the list and, and find what I found. And it's only because I have you know so much experience doing it. But but I think what doing it manually does for me is it allows me to look at the market and say, tell me what I should be looking at rather mm -hmm. than me saying, here's what I want. Here's my mm -hmm. order. Go get me these stocks. That's all I'm interested in versus saying, hey, you know what? I noticed going through my list that you know, I have eight bank stocks in this list of 120 and four of them look great for tomorrow. And then I'll go look at the XLF and say, hey, well, no wonder. Look at yeah. that. Um, so it, it just it, it gives me that extra little level of perception and, and overall awareness of what's going on in the market and helps me be in a more anticipatory than reactive mode for when they do start going. So when you're. I don't know when you think of your 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 day to day routine. What what market environments 
tend to give you the most trouble? What's the, is there a common theme of when, I don't know if it's just a choppy type of behavior or what, what are the ingredients of, of things that just don't work so well for the shorter term swing trading? Yeah. A choppy environment, clearly. Okay. I mean, yeah. you know, there, there's, you, you can look at the Russell 2000. It's done nothing since February. It's been in a, a pretty tight, you know, uh, rectangle. Um, and you would think that there would be a lot of stocks that aren't participating. But the odd thing is there are. Um, so when, when there's just a choppy environment like you're talking about, um, you know, and a lot of times that's maybe around a news event. But but the, the thing that I've gotten a lot better at is is going through my list of stocks each day. And I look at my list and I'm looking for opportunities. I, I'm not looking for longs and I'm not looking for shorts. I'm just looking for low risk setups where I perceive there's a high probability. And, you know, another thing I've gotten better at over the years is not forcing the issue. If I look at my list and say, wait a minute, I have two B list stocks, eight C list and no high confidence swing trade ideas. That's the market telling me something. The market is saying, don't deploy your cash. Hold on to it. Wait for the better opportunities. And, and that's something that you develop with time is the, the patience and the ability to say, you know what, the opportunities aren't there. You, I used to be the guy, and I'm sure there's a lot of them out there, you know, that sits in front of his machine and says, I'm just sitting here. I'm not doing anything. I'm a trader. I should be trading. That's the, the you know, the, the name of what I do isn't the watcher. It's the trader. I should be trading. And that's how you get yourself into trouble, forcing trades that aren't set up. So if you can learn to recognize the strategy that makes sense for your personality and only trade those setups, or if you're going to trade the marginal setups, trade them with much smaller size and just, you know, be cool with every day is not going to be a big day. Um, you know, a little progress is still progress. And if you can avoid those drawdown days and maybe even eke out a little bit of profitability, you know, you're going to way outperform anything the market, uh, will do. Those are all, yeah, great, great tips. Um, do you differentiate at all between say a 50 million market cap company versus a, a $50 billion market cap? Do you, do you actually take a different approach depending on market cap or, or kind of any other characteristic of the stock? To me, it's, it's about the volume. Um, yeah. If it trades at least, uh, I, I use a 20-day moving average of volume. Most services, when they quote the average daily volume, they'll give you a 50-day average. I, I like 20 days because it, there might have been an explosive earnings report, you know, and the average daily volume on the 50 days might be 338,000, but for 20 days it's 746,000. Um, so I want to be in the stocks that are getting active as well, not just their 50-day average. So to me, it's you know my my minimum threshold is if it has to trade at least a half a million shares a day over the 20-day average, and I'd prefer it to be 800 plus. So mm -hmm. 800,000 to two and a half, three million is kind of the sweet spot for me. Um, and and ideally, like if I have a low price stock, well, I'd rather it trades 20 million shares. So I have more confidence to, you know, get in with some size. Not, not that I'm going to do, you know, millions of shares, but, but you know, <laughs> just that the liquidity is there for the amount. So I, I also consider how much of my volume I don't want to do more than really one percent of the average daily volume. 
And, you know, so 5,000 shares of a $2 stock, it's still worth doing. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to take 20,000 shares if it's trading 500,000 shares a day, but I might if it's trading 10 million shares a day. Do you trade any other strategies on like the tactical side? So do you have any position trades or investments that you that you actively manage at all? Or is it mostly focused on the swing trading? I've, you know, I've, I've, I always experiment with timeframes. Um, although I'm kind of off trying to experiment with, with day trades. Um, it's just not, you know, I'm 53 years old. I don't need to be sitting there actively day trading anymore. Um, so it's just the opposite that it's kind of gone to, I do try to hold some things longer and I'm, I'm actually really surprised sometimes where I'll buy a token position in something, you know, a hundred shares of, of a $250 stock and then it goes to 400 and I'm still holding my hundred shares going, wow, that's $15,000 on a hundred shares. And so I'm trying to, you know, stretch my timeframes as well mm -hmm. and realize that, hey, it's only a hundred shares. And, you know, if I'm up $7 on it, pulls back three, it's not the end of the world. I'll let it go. So uh, I, I try to do more and more of that, Evan. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I actually now have a separate account that I do that in just so I can make sure, no, don't be tempted. You know, just <laughs> because it's at that level doesn't mean sell. That's not the goal in that account. So yeah. you've got to, you know, have, you've got to have different personalities and it's, and it's easier to separate those personalities if you have the account separate as well. And I actually yeah. keep that account closed throughout the day. Mm. So I don't make it an impulsive decision that I'll set, you know, I might open it in the morning, set a stop and just leave it alone for the rest of the day. And, you know, if I don't get stopped out, great. Um, so I, I'm yeah. working there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You and me both. I mean, I, I like the idea of not keeping that account open um, and keeping a separate account for a different strategy. I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, the, the short-term traders in us, cause yeah, I'm trying to, trying to do the same thing of having smaller positions, but holding for multiple months. And you know, the, the, the tactical swing trader in me looks at those charts sometimes and I'm like, ah, oh, this thing's going to pull back for six days. I need right. to get out of it. And then I, but it's like, no, I'm, you know, the goal was to hold that for six months. Like I'm not supposed to do that. So it's hard. It is. And then you get better at it. Cause you start to realize that, wait a minute, I thought it would pull back six days. And I mm. thought it would pull back 10%, but it only pulled back two days and 3%. Yeah. And I sold it in that account. I'm still holding it here. And now it's back at new highs again. Mm. And it, it, so it, you know, the, the results help reinforce it. And if, and if I keep the trades small enough, I don't get emotional and say, mm. well, now I'm losing real money. So yeah. I think that helps. So you've been doing this for 30 plus years. What yeah. does a bad day for Brian Shannon look like? Like what are the mistakes that you make or issues you run into that make you say, damn, that, you know, that was a bad day. What, what, what is it usually for you? Sometimes it'll just, it'll just be the market. You know, the market's not following through. I'll buy a stock and uh, I'll get, I'll get out right away and I'll, I'll, maybe try that same stock again and get hit on it again. And, 
Um, I try two or three other stocks and all of a sudden I look at it. I've got, you know, five trades I did. Every one of them is a loser. The stuff I held overnight got stopped out. Um, and, you know, so sometimes I can just say, hey, it's the market. You did. You followed your rules. That's good. That's OK. That this this happens sometimes. I don't beat myself up over over those things. It's just the market's going to do that to all of us at some point. Where I get disappointed with myself is if I start doing things like if I average down in a trade and say, no, I'm going to buy here. I've, I, and I, I seldom do that. I, it's really, really rare simply because I put my hand on that stove so many times and it's like I should have a tattoo of a stove <laughs> just to remind myself, don't touch the hot stove. Um, yeah. So if it's if it's a mistake that I'm tired, I'm not focused, I'm, my discipline's off, I'm distracted, and I'm just doing stupid things. I'm looking at it going, well, shoot, I ignored that alert earlier. Now the stock's up two points, but I think it's still going to go higher. It doesn't matter if it's R2. I think it's going higher than that today. And I buy the extended stock. And I don't answer where has it come from? Where does it have the potential to go? What's most likely? Instead, I get that, okay, I'm getting in. I don't care. You know, I got to make some money today. I've had these six losers. Now I got to make it up here. Mm. If I start doing that, then, you know, then, then it's on me. And it's, you know, I, I never, I don't blame the market because I engage, you know, I choose to engage. I don't blame someone I saw on Twitter. One, I don't really, you know, I don't blame the news because I don't watch the news because I know the news has been a distraction for me in the past as well. I used to have CNBC on. And I would, you know, Joe Kernan would come on and say something about a stock. And I'd be like, yeah, I can get in and out of that before everyone else does. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, get losers on that. So, you know, cut out the things that don't help you make money. Um, and and folk try to, you know, focus on self-reliance and, and knowing your time frame and, and managing risk, you know, to a default. It's It's really as simple as they say. It's just, you know, like losing weight, exercise more, eat less. But why is it such a mystery? Why do people struggle with it so much? The same reason people struggle with the market so much because they're not doing just the basic stuff to make sure you don't get hurt. Don't eat the Twinkie. Guess what? That's fattening. Um, you know, you can't eat the chicken breast and the Twinkie. You have to eat just the chicken breast and not the Twinkie. <laughs> Simple but not easy. I think that's usually what they uh, what they say, and it's also yeah. true. It's yeah, so true. Yeah. So, I mean, you you basically, I mean, touched on it, but I'm just curious if there's anything else that comes to mind. Then, so in terms of the, if you put your educator hat on, or just kind mm -hmm. of helping traders along, traders that you're working with that might be a part of Alpha Trends. I mean, what are some of the most common roadblocks, even, even with some of your guidance, I mean, and, and seeing the stocks you're looking at, I mean, where do you see usually the disconnect for, for traders between profitable and not profitable? I think, I think a lot of it is, you know, chasing stocks and not honestly asking where has it come from? Where does it have the potential to go? So I do webinars for my subscribers every other Monday and, you know, people will ask me about a stock and they'll say, and you know, or on my forum board, they'll say, Brian, what do you think about this stock? And I'll look at it and I'll say, you know, I'll turn it back around. One, where has it come from? 
you know, it's up here. This was one today. I won't say the name of the company. It doesn't matter. But I, I said, you know, it, it's up 14% in the last four days. Where does it have the potential to go before it's likely to find supply resistance? It was right at, I mean, touching the declining 50-day moving average. And like, you know, what's your risk reward here? What do you, what more do you expect? It's it's a stock mm-hmm. in a primary downtrend because the 50-day moving average is is declining. That means guilty till proven innocent. And it just rallied 14% to get here. Is this a good risk reward? So it's it's not it's chasing basically and yeah. getting excited about things after a move rather mm-hmm. than saying, "Hey, you know what? I don't have to be in the popular stock." I can be in the stock before it gets popular in three or four days and sell to the people who are getting excited about it. Yeah. And that's the, that's the homework that you talked about earlier, yeah. right? That's why you do the paging through all the charts. So you can be in that anticipatory mode to, so you're not left, you know, chasing. So right. yeah, that, that makes, that makes all the sense in the, the world. The more homework you do, the more prepared you're going to be, the less likely it is you're going to make those rookie mistakes. Yeah. So we'll start to wind down here. A few questions remaining, but um, any any beliefs that you have, and you may have said a few of them here, but anything that stands out that you believe that goes against conventional wisdom? Is there anything, you know, any of those popular sayings, trading sayings that everybody, you know, kind of reads about, but you may say, eh, might not be so true, or I see it another way. Anything come to mind? I'm waiting to answer this. <laughs> I'm asking the question. <laughs> I love it. Uh, buy the dip. I uh, mm. Man, you know, I, I understand <laughs> that people want to buy a stock that's pulled back. It makes sense. But you don't know if this is the end of the, the, the dip or if it's the beginning of something larger. So, I like to say, don't buy the dip, buy strength after the dip. So like I was talking about early, you know, when you look at the shorter term time frame, it had this big rally, it pulls back two days, it might need another day, it might need another day and a half to pull back. And then it might need a day to day and a half to go sideways. Let those forces even out, let that equilibrium be found and buy the strength after the dip, rather than putting your money on the line, let other people do the dirty work of creating that short-term support, whether it's at a 20-day moving average, a VWAP or whatever. Know your level of interest where you're saying, I'm interested in buying in this area. If it can settle down here and then I buy strength and then have my stop, it's so much saner than just buying it because it's down 10%. And three days later, you're looking at it going, well, it's down 20%. What, you know, one day the dips are going to just Keep dipping and, and, and yeah. you're done. And I, 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 I think that, you know, this market has just been so strong for so long and every dip does get bought that it's creating some horrible habits for people. And a lot of people are going to get burned badly when they, uh, you know, when they look at it and say, you know, why do I have these stocks now down 50% of my account? I was just buying them for the dip. They couldn't sell them down 20% because that's down too much. And that was the 50-day moving average. And they justify holding it here or there. So, you know, let the let the market tell you what to do. Don't try to be smarter than the market. Yeah, I feel like we're 
market is conditioning a whole generation of traders right now for that buy the dip. The memes are already out, you know, on everything and right. the Fed put. But oh man, when this, you know, when it, when it, who knows? Maybe, maybe it'll go on forever. Yeah, it, it reminds me of another phrase that uh, is said often, which is, "This is going to end badly." People have been yeah. saying that for the last, you know, sixteen months. It's going to end badly. It's going to end badly. It's only going to end badly for the people who don't have strategies and the discipline to implement them and let their stocks get stopped out and not be married to a position and say, hey, you know what? The market told me move aside for now. I'll do that. And, and sidestep the big coming decline that who knows when it's going to be there, but it feels so good to be in cash when everyone else is getting killed and complaining or maybe you're even short a couple positions. And yeah. seeing, you know, the market down 10% and your account is at all time highs. That's, you know, that's when you know that you're doing things right. Keep doing those and avoid the mistakes. Yeah. Have a plan, follow the plan. And yeah, that, that sounds like great advice to me. Um, I see that you've been kind of teasing a little bit here and there on Twitter. You might be working on a new book. Any, uh, any truth to that? You there is, and, you know, man, I, 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 I had the idea for the book close to two years ago and started writing a bunch of it. Then I put it aside for a while, put it aside. And I was like, I got to hold myself more accountable. So I'll put something out on Twitter and mm. that people will ask me and then I'll feel compelled. But man, now it just bugs me when people ask. Because <laughs> 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 unfortunately, I'm not doing the writing. I just, I, I, can, I, I, I will put this out there that I was just, uh, I met with an editor last week. Nice. So it's back on track. I've got some dates in mind. I'm not going to say them out loud. Let's say first quarter of next year. Um, I, I, I should have this book out. Nice. Don't hold me to that because the writing just doesn't come so naturally to me. I really have to sit down and, you know, think and, you know, turn, tune off every distraction because there's so many of them. Um, yeah. Uh, but it, it's coming. You're right. Nice. Well, I'm glad and hopefully this will keep you even more accountable. So I, I look forward <laughs> to that, to that new right. book and we, we can all message Brian if it doesn't come out in early 2022. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Christ, I mean, even writing blog posts, it it's hard. Like that's why like you, I mean, you're the master of videos. Uh, videos are just so much easier to speak the word than, than write the word. Or at least it is for me. I'm, and, I'm sure and, you can, and you can, you know, with using the charts and moving time frames, yeah. and you can emphasize so much more like yeah. in, a, in a 10 minute video, it would take you two hours to write up all the points you just tried to make in 10 minutes. Yeah. It's yeah. just a much more effective medium. So anything else on your mind, anything else we talked about the book, anything else you're working on, anything else you want to mention before we wrap up here? No, I mean, I just encourage everyone to, you know, find your own style. You, you use all the resources out there. There's so many great resources out there, your site, what I do, what other people on Twitter are doing, you know, but, get pieces of this strategy or say, you know, that part makes sense. Know your time frame. make the strategy yours and, and tweak it to match your personality. No one should be copying my trades or your trades or yep. looking to do that. They should be saying, Hey, I like that idea. I don't like the way he's entering it, or I'm going to put my stop here and give it more room. That's the way you should look at that. It's a resource. It's a, 
you know, it's, it's a playbook. And, and you know, the coach run, says to the quarterback, hey, go run this play. The quarterback gets on the field. The defense is doing something different. He's got to think quick. And it was a run to the left, but he throws the ball to the, le- to the, to the right. And that's what the market, that's what the, they, that was what the market told him. It's the same thing. You've got your, you've got to have some flexibility and, and go with the flow, but don't, you know, balance that out with not getting emotional and making rash decisions, but you, you know, have the solid foundation understanding of, of the foundation of market structure uh, mm. and then find your time frame and, and your approach in there. So just make it your own basically. Awesome. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you're up to, your work? Where should we head them? Where should we head uh, them? To? You know, the easiest way, uh, Evan, is uh, at Alpha Trends on Twitter. And that has links to my book. It has links to my YouTube video that I do each week. I, I put more stuff, you know, publicly on Twitter than anywhere else. So I would say that's the way to do it. My book's on Amazon. I've got a YouTube channel. You can find that. You know, I tweet it out every Friday. So it, it that's the easiest you know, that's the most concise place to go. Awesome. Great. Well, that's it, folks. All the notes and links that Brian just mentioned will be in the description and you can find it on our website, thetraderist.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in and we hope to see you in the next episode. Brian, thanks so much for all of the details here. This was awesome. Great. Thanks, Evan. Thank you for listening to Smarter Trading. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For all of the show notes, links, and call-outs, head on over to thetraderisk.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Smarter Trading is hosted by me, Evan Medeiros, and produced by Ashton Alexander. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you in the next episode.